listening to Kathy's Corner here on WPKN 89.5 FM and streaming online at WPKN.org. And also there are podcasts on SoundCloud, WPKN Community Radio. We just heard Summertime and the Living is Easy. And that was Nora Jones. I like her version. So my show, if you, those of you who haven't heard it before, uh, it's just it's part of a series of information that airs at this time slot. Uh, I'm now on the fifth Wednesday of the month, so a little less than I was, but gives me time to think about what I want to talk about. <laughs> my expertise is the field of consciousness. Consciousness is awareness. You wouldn't be hearing me if you didn't have consciousness. It's intelligence, not intellect. It just means that orderly aspect of who we are. Consciousness is self-sufficient. It's absolute. It doesn't depend on anything for its existence. It is. It is that one aspect of life that is within you for your whole life. And that's your self. But now we're writing it with a big S. There's much more to discuss regarding this important topic that we don't tend to know a lot about, but we will be talking more about that in the next two shows. I have two more shows for 2021, and I decided to devote both of them to going deeply into this one topic. But usually what I do on the show is kind of take a little angle, a little stream, and see how it's related to unfolding our best potential, which is really what we want to do. We want to unfold our consciousness Uh, from the deeper regions of the mind. That's where they are. We know states of consciousness from the beginning of our life. We might not be so cognizant of them when we're an infant, but we do become more aware. Waking, dreaming, sleeping, they are physiologically different from each other, subjectively as well as objectively. And what that means is you experience them differently. That's the subjective. You certainly know the difference between a dream and waking state, but they can also be measured. And this is the value of, say, a sleep clinic that can tell you if you're getting deep enough sleep or things like that, because there's a physiology that corresponds to a state of consciousness. For example, there are different brainwave patterns. The blood chemistry is different. Respiration is different. That's breathing. Um, And throughout that 24-hour cycle of a day, we experience these different states as one changes into the next. What I like to do on this show, which WPKN has granted me this space, um, I like to give you knowledge, some deeper understanding that there's more to life than these three states of consciousness. And we even know within the three states that you can have a better day than other days or a nicer dream than other dreams. So you know that there are values there. But there's even more. There are higher states of consciousness. So it's always my joy and pleasure to share with you 48 years of knowledge and experience in this field of consciousness and also how to unfold more of its value from within the mind. What I do during the day (laughs) when I'm not here, uh, I am the director of the Transcendental Meditation Program in Fairfield County, Connecticut. Uh, TM, as it's known, is a particular form of meditation. 
Um, and it regularly and systematically provides the experience of this inner value of life, the direct contact with finer fields of the mind, like clearing off fog from the mirror or moving the clouds blocking the sun so that we can experience more. And also, so those of you who are regular listeners, you know that I take a theme, for example, and we'll look at how that theme applies to our daily life in terms of unfolding your potential, in terms of reaching a more balanced state. And I usually like to explain that life has two aspects to it. It's not just the outer material world, which is what we know the most. There's also cycles of nature. There's rest, there's activity, there's inner, there's outer. The outer active world, that's what we know the most. That's what we can feel and touch and taste and smell, but it's in the inner in consciousness at deeper values. That's where we find the deepest peace. That's why it's called inner peace. And one main reason people seek out programs that encourage their development is they, that we want to be balanced. We want to have um, just a more clear, balanced life. We want to be healthy in every way possible. And there are numerous tools to achieve that. Eat well, exercise, find positive people to hang out with. <laughs> Don't hang out with the uh, the downers. <laughs> wear a hat in the winter and definitely wear a hat in the summer too. <laughs> okay, so today what I want to do, something a little bit different, although I did this a few years ago. It is summertime and I am feeling easy <laughs> myself. Um, we've been through the winter months. We've been through and there are some remains of the pandemic. I think we had a little tough time there. And this is the very last day of June I always said June was my favorite month, but it's a short month and it goes by so fast. But here we are at the very last day. All those activities that June is known for, the proms, the graduations, the final school programs, that's all gone now. And it's officially summer. Hot sun, beach, barbecues, music festivals. And we are slowly getting back to a normal season. So hopefully we can enjoy more and more of these things. So today what I would like to do is share what I call some short stories or vignettes of summer activities in the light of consciousness in order to create that more balanced life. So to start off with, we're going to listen to Summertime and the Living is Easy for another minute or so just to get in that mood. Okay, we're back. I just wanted to get us all in the mood. You're listening to Kathy's Corner on WPKN, and today I'm doing my summer short stories or summer vignettes. So we just heard from Nora Jones. I like her version of summertime and the living. I think you can't use the G at the end there. It's living is easy. So I want to talk a little bit about an aspect of consciousness that grows when we become more balanced, and that is to do less and accomplish more. 
So uh, just from my own personal experience, when the weather is like this, it's a nice, warm, sunny day today in Connecticut, I like to sit in the sun for a while, maybe on a lounge chair, and just take it easy and take in the warm of the warmth of the sun. And, of course, I have sunscreen on. <laughs> and sometimes when I am fully engaged in this most relaxed activity, I think, wouldn't it be nice to not have to work hard? <laughs> wouldn't it be nice to just sit on the beach with a good book and an enjoyable beverage and not have to do a lot, not have to sweat, but to get a lot done? So one way to achieve that goal is to have a lot of money and a personal assistant. <laughs> but I don't have either a lot of money or a personal assistant, and I don't see that happening uh, anytime soon. But another way to achieve that goal, to have efficient life, is to generate more efficiency of action from within, to do less and accomplish more. So let's examine how we could do that. The basis of action what we can accomplish in our life, for example, is thinking. First you have the thought, and then you go to the store. First you have the thought, and then you go mow the lawn. <laughs> so thought is the basis of action, but what's the basis of thinking? We well, have to be aware. You have to be a human being to have that thought. And that's what consciousness is. So the value of our thinking, the value of the outcome of our thinking is based on the source of thinking, and that is a state of consciousness. And in its deepest value, it's a state of pure consciousness, which means it's unobstructed. Having success in the field of life and activity where we fulfill our desires, where we do all our business, it must have a strong basis, a strong foundation. And we know everything needs that foundation in order to be stable. The roots of a tree, for example to be strong and stable so it won't topple over. The foundation of a building needs to be strong and stable to support the weight of the structure. A solid foundation for life is the first prerequisite for a successful life. The outer life, the material world, is defined by change, constant change. So that's not real stable. It happens, it's what we know. Not every day is the same. To have stability, is to infuse that stable inner value of consciousness with the outer life. Pure consciousness is also called being. It's also the self. I mentioned that earlier, but this is now not the small self, the ego-based self. It's the big S self. That means it's there your whole life. That's stable. It remains hidden, however, for the most part. We didn't necessarily spend some time in our life to unfold that. We're just hoping it kind of creeps out. <laughs> it's there. It's in everyone at the depth of the mind, but it's not always infused in active life as much as it could be. We lost the connection. We lost the technology, how to connect, and then the importance of it got lost. And you know the story. It just went on and on. The physiology of this experience, when the mind starts to connect with these more stable states, the brain, the mind is awake, alert, yet the body is rested, deeply rested. It's called restful alertness. And it is another state of consciousness. I said earlier, waking, dreaming, sleeping, not all there is. And this state is called transcendental consciousness. It's an experience of clarity, evenness, inner peace. And when this stability is experienced by the mind and maintained, 
it's not just a here or there kind of thing, but it remains a part of our daily life, then we can be more efficient in life. Everything we do, the field of activity, our decisions and actions, are all based in this. And this field of life enriches the ever-changing, the outer field. So that means there are two fields of life. Just like in the beginning, I said there's rest and activity, there's inner and outer. There are two fields of life. There's the relative life, that you could also call it the material world. You can measure, you can experience all these objects through the senses and um, mode of perception like the intellect. But it's a field of change. It's moving, it's constantly changing. The absolute, another field of life, is not changing. That outer relative life, <clears throat> excuse me, goes up and down, but it now has a basis in the inner stable field of the mind because it becomes more and more familiar with it, and it's no longer hidden. The process of moving forward for greater success may involve, in this case, <laughs> going in another direction. So, for example, if I want to shoot an arrow, I'm going to pull it back on the bow. If I just throw it, it's not going to be as sharp. The mind, when brought back to its finer fields, will produce more efficient results. So there's a bridge to bring that inner value of life, that more stable, efficient value of life, into the outer. And that's a procedure to contact this field. You can't talk about it, hope for it. You have to dive in. <clears throat> You can't do it with effort because that produces strain and effort is activity and you're reducing activity. So that doesn't work that way. And these finer levels of consciousness within the mind are less concrete. They are more abstract, yet they're very orderly. That stable state of pure consciousness, eventually over time, nothing's overnight if it's natural, it becomes an integrated part of our life, of our thinking over time more and more and more. Now, what's interesting about this point is there's plenty of research on this, and it's even just logical. If I'm going to become a musician, I want to be a professional musician, I'm going to pick up that instrument and I'm going to play it. I'm going to practice and practice again and practice again and can, until I can do it with my eyes closed. Well, what you've also done is changed the brain. Now the brain knows what to do when you pick it up and just start wailing on that guitar with your eyes closed. <laughs> that does not happen in a day. There's research also when you transcend that you change the nervous system little by little. There's a change in the blood chemistry, for example. There's less cortisol in the blood. That's the stress hormone. But a fascinating area of study is the brain. And I have talked about this in other shows, but <clears throat> just to mention, one of those changes is brainwave activity. And brainwave activity indicates what you're doing. So a scientist can look in the brain and say, oh, that person's asleep. That person's studying for a test. Um, I've got to be exact about it because they're not going to know what test you're studying for. <laughs> but they can tell what activity is going on. Now, there's a kind of brainwave activity. It's not uncommon, but it's certainly not the most common. And it's called alpha, alpha 1 in particular, is a kind of brainwave activity that indicates a settled awake clear brain. Now, this is what happens to everyone when they're transcending because it's a physiological experience. It's over time that that brain wave pattern becomes more and more familiar, more and more settled in the brain. And it's there when you're not meditating. It's there all the time. And that is a brain that is awake and settled and clear and efficient. 
<clears throat> so for thinking to be most effective, the thought needs to be expressed in such a way that it's fulfilled without strain, tension. That also means that the energy required for thinking is less, and the thought is also powerful and effective, like the arrow hitting the target. This is truly doing less and accomplishing more, having a thought and having it manifest rather quickly. This happens sometimes when we need a parking spot and somebody's pulling out. <laughs> it's useful. <laughs> efficiency of any action that we do really does depend on the efficiency of our thoughts, which depends on the ability of the mind to perceive a thought at finer levels. So picking up a thought at a subtler level, level for example, that thought is more effective. And guess what that's called? <laughs> that's what intuition really is. It's just a subtler level of the thinking mind. If you've had that experience of intuition, you know it's not a concrete, it doesn't come with a text that says, this is why you're having that thought. You usually don't even know why until later on when you realize, oh, I'm glad I didn't go that way. There was a big backup. Boy, boy, I'm intuitive today. <laughs> but that's thought. That's thinking at a less concrete level. So it's not so unusual. This is where thought is strong and vital. The art of thinking lies in drawing the mind inward. The power of our action depends on the power of our thinking, and the quality of our thinking depends on the state of our consciousness. And keep in mind, it's not words on the surface. Anybody can do that. Anybody can say anything, really, and they often do. <laughs> it's the thought, the power of the thought, the source of that thought that determines the, the efficiency of that action. And for maximum efficiency... And because the thought is perceived now at subtler levels, that thought has more of a positive influence of natural law and is therefore a thought that is without harm. It's more evolutionary. So I think we can take the next logical step and say, well, people who are making decisions for most of us, the rest, <laughs> wouldn't we want their thoughts to be in that level, evolutionary, without harm? And thinking without this stable, harmonious basis, well, we know what that can produce. Useless thoughts, thoughts you don't need, worries, anxieties, wrong thinking, thought that takes you down the wrong path, weak thought, misleading thoughts. You get the picture. <laughs> These are thoughts that don't encourage our progress. So for most effective action, more effective thinking is necessary. Using minimum energy with maximum amount of results achieved is doing less, accomplishing more. And for that to happen, the thought really needs to be in the right direction. So we all know time is such a precious commodity in our busy modern age. Most of us are busy lately, especially. So being efficient in our actions <clears throat> with their basis and clearer and more effective thinking is really important. So drawing the mind back to its source is the solution to doing less and accomplishing more when you don't have that personal assistant to run around for you. <laughs> In fact, it's actually more fulfilling to do it yourself. And having time, now we have more time, we can go to the beach, we can go to the concert, <laughs> we can enjoy. So do less, accomplish more is a quality of consciousness. So now on to short story number two we are going to talk a little bit more about heat. So we'll start off with a fun song to remind us about the summer heat. <laughs>
Hello and welcome back to Kathy's Corner. You're probably wondering why we're playing a little music today because I usually talk or interview someone. But today is summertime and well, we started out with the living is easy. <laughs> now we're going to head into um, the weather is hot. And that was Mongo Jerry from 1970, if anybody remembers that. I do. I was just talking to Rod about it. <laughs> I used to, my memory of it is riding around in the summertime when the weather was hot. So this is a particular season that we're all aware of where the sun is very hot. And in Ayurvedic terminology, it's called pitta season. So we're very aware and more cautious with the sun in this season, especially lately, all those heat waves that are going on around the country. And at this time of year, the summer season or pitta season, according to the ancient healthcare system of Ayurveda, I've done shows on the principles and points of Ayurveda in the past. In fact, could have been the very last show I did, which was March. So you could seek that out on um, the podcast, SoundCloud, WPKN Community Radio, Kathy's Corner. Sounds like a lot, but it's actually not so hard. <laughs> Ayurveda is a very extensive field of study about health, particularly, obviously. And today, one of the vignettes I wanted to do um, was about the particular season when the weather is hot. And what are some good points um, we could, we could uh, benefit from to enjoy this pitta season without getting overwhelmed. So first, a brief definition for those who are hearing these words for the first time. Historically, Ayurveda, it's one word really, Ayurveda, is the world's original system of healthcare. When translated from the Sanskrit language, Ayu or Ayus means life or lifespan, and Veda means knowledge or science. So Ayurveda is the knowledge of life or the science of lifespan. <clears throat> Ayurveda is a comprehensive system of natural health care, consisting of many treatments, modalities for both the evaluation of health and maintenance of good health and treatment of illness. And these procedures are based on the deep understanding of the physiology, the mind-body, uh, which is a reflection. This is a big principle in Ayurveda that the mind-body is a reflection of the intelligence of nature. So rather than treat the body as a collection of cells, tissues, and organs, uh, and particularly symptoms, Ayurveda treats the body at its source. The emphasis, or really the mind-body, the physiology at its source. The emphasis of Ayurveda is particularly on prevention and longevity, hence the name lifespan, but it has procedures for treating existing imbalances as well so that we can head towards that balanced state and have a nice long lifespan. At the heart of Ayurveda is the concept of creating perfect balance for mind and body by reawakening the intelligence of the physiology and really letting it do its work. The body knows how to heal. The function of Marshi Ayurveda is to locate those imbalances, address them with those procedures that come from this science, such as routines, foods, etc., and all for the purpose of restoring balance. So if there's imbalance, that can be addressed before it even becomes a full-blown symptom. That's really the more ideal purpose of Ayurveda. So another element of Ayurveda there are aspects to it called dosha. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because, especially when you first begin to hear about Ayurveda, you're gonna hear this word dosha. The five elements, space, air, fire, water, earth, 
they combine to form, in different combinations of twos, they combine to form the three operating principles of matter. And in Ayurveda, those are doshas. Doshas are a governing principle of the physiology. And there are three of them. And these are the words you've probably heard. And where you've heard them might be an article in a magazine or a quiz you take to see what you are, which dosha are you. It's really not based on that, but that's what's popular now. So the three doshas are vata, pitta, and kapha. So when we begin to look at it this way, we see that there's much more profound understanding than just some quiz you take. But you could start there, get an idea. But it's really a very profound study. When these three principles are in balance, then that's, that's best health. But out of balance, and any one of them can go out of balance, and they all have sub subcategories. So <clears throat> when they're out of balance, there are formulas and procedures that can address and bring them back into balance. So what I'm talking about today is particularly the pitta dosha, because pitta is made of fire and water. It's one of the three operating mechanisms of Ayurveda. It governs metabolism and all things heat-related. Now, in Ayurveda, there are cycles. There's cycles in the physiology. There's also cycles in life, and one of those cycles are the seasons. And Pitta's season is right now, in the summertime, when the weather is hot. <laughs> That's the fire. <clears throat> what else is fire-related in our nervous system, in our physiology? Well, digestion. You would call it the digestive fire. And that's such an important part of Ayurveda that it has a name called Agni. That's the digestive fire. And um, that's what transforms food so that it can keep the body healthy. So Agni is responsible for the transformation of food into fuel for our body. So Pitt is responsible for this fire in our bellies, we can say. And if it's out of balance, then our whole physiology can be thrown out of whack. So the qualities of pitta people, for example, this would be somebody who tends to have that pitta dosha a little bit more dominant in their, in their physiology and their personality. So what would that kind of a person be like? Might be you, might be somebody you know. <laughs> but these are people who tend to have, <clears throat> especially when they're balanced. So let's start with the balanced pitta. Strong energy, strong will, sharp intellect, determined, passionate, they tend to be joyful and grateful. Pitta-dominant people tend to be good leaders. They have courage, ambition. A little perfectionism maybe thrown in there. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> I guess it depends on how far it goes. So a pitta person tends to have a medium body build, more balanced weight typically, and a tendency to what? Become hot. <laughs> Not just physically, but emotionally too. Sometimes they're impatient and irritable. This could be the imbalanced pitta. Now, here's an easy way to spot a pitta. Uh, winter time, when everybody's bundled up, they're in shorts. <laughs> That's that person, you can be sure. They have that internal fire going. So when pitta's out of balance, those good qualities can quickly overheat and turn destructive, like poor digestion, occasional, let's say, hyperacidity in the stomach, loose bowels, occasional heartburn, acne and skin rashes. Keep in mind, those are red. They tend to be red, and this is heat. Someone with a pitta imbalance can also be short-tempered, frustrated, a little aggressive even, overly aggressive. So pitta imbalance can also manifest into someone being a workaholic, 
and uh, controlling. A little fiery there. <laughs> this is the out of balance pitta. This is the pitta we want to help with our procedures. <laughs> so pitta people also tend to get hangry. <laughs> you know what that means? If they're not eating on time, they can get pretty irritable because pittas, you know, their their digestive processes are usually pretty heightened and when they don't eat on time, they notice it and they can get a little irritable. Um, so pitta dosha is related to several other parts of the human physiology. Each, each dosha, remember there are three, vata, pitta, kapha. Today we're talking about pitta because it's the fire, the, the sun, um, and the season of summer. So there are five sub-levels to every dosha. So I'm going to tell you a couple of things that pitta is related to because these are things you really want to address. And it's not just if you have a pitta imbalance that you want to address these things. It's because it's in the season of pitta. It's always good to pay attention to them. Maybe you don't have to do them as much as a genuine pitta dominant person, but you certainly want to do some of these perhaps. So one of the sub-levels of pitta is related to the skin, and it's called brajika pitta. That's the sub-level. It's concerned with the quality of our skin. So people with pitta dosha predominant in their body type, they generally have a, a warm complexion or maybe they have fair hair. You know, they'll probably have freckles. Maybe they get ruddy, ruddy cheeks. They're especially susceptible, however, to sun exposure. And normally, there's a natural balance in the skin. The skin has a natural means to moisturize and cool itself. Uh, but if this particular subdosha of pitta gets overheated, then the ultraviolet rays from the sun penetrate the skin, causing the overheated skin to destroy its own moisturizing functions. And what does that mean? Well, it's called sunburn. So we want to be careful about that. So people who have this pitta tendency want to be especially careful in the sun. So <clears throat> because, not just because it's harmful for other reasons, but it also ages the skin. Okay, but no matter what your skin type, the summer season's extra heat and sun can increase that pitta dosha and affect your skin anyway. So it's not just fair people who should use sunscreen. I think everybody knows that by now. So to prevent summer skin damage and to cool the effects of the pitta season, you always want to add the opposite. So if the pitta is fiery, you want to cool them down. So there's also foods that you want to avoid and behaviors that increase pitta. So we'll get back to that in a second. There's another subdosha of pitta, which is a very important, they're all important, but this one is called sadaka pitta, and it has to do with emotions. So if someone has emotional imbalance, it's often related to this uh, pitta dosha. And doing things to soothe the emotions and not aggravate them helps to subside the, the imbalance. So um, <clears throat> another area Another subdosha of pitta it governs the eyes, and that also needs protection in this time of uh, heat. So we all know that sunglasses, hat to protect your skin and eyes. They're both pitta um, things in the body. When the eyes get overheated, that can heat the emotions too. So you can see now that how much it's all related. And the heat reflects back to the skin. So let's think about it. When somebody's upset, when they're angry, especially, what happens? Well, their face gets red. Why is it red? Well, there's too much pitta now. I would run and get them a nice big slice of watermelon. Let's <laughs> say so here, sit down and calm down. 
So here's some tips to reduce pitta in the summer to stay cool and healthy. One thing for the eyes, because your eyes are busy all the time, <laughs> watching and looking at things. You can lie down, obviously close your eyes, apply a little organic rose water to a cotton pad, and with your eyes closed, you put the pad over the eyelids for a few minutes. Just let it, let it experience that nice soothing influence of the rose water. Rose water is very good for reducing pitta imbalances. So you do this when you need to or as often as you like. And you can even feel the emotional stress subsiding because remember the connection between the eyes and the emotions. So in pitta season, it's also recommended to exercise less even though many of us have been inside for a while, we just are happy to get outside. If you have a strong pitta constitution, you don't want to overheat in doing exercises. So don't exercise to the point of being drenched in sweat. <laughs> for pitta types especially, uh, you want to do things that are cooling. So swimming, that's cooling. Walking in the early morning hours or in the moonlight. And also yoga asanas, those are very, very nice to do, except you might want to skip the hot yoga in the summertime. <laughs> okay, I think that's logical, but sometimes you just need a little help to figure that out. So also knowing that the pitta type people can lean towards forcefulness, intensity, even competitive. Um, we can benefit from culturing a relaxed attitude towards all of these things. In other words... If you're going to do yoga, don't compare yourself to the other people in the class. If you're going to swim, you don't have to beat the other person to the edge. If you, you don't have to, you might want to. But in other words, for pitta constitutions, don't take yourself too seriously and just enjoy the process. Now, I said I would mention a few things to soothe pitta regarding foods. And this is a very interesting and important aspect. The very, I have seen many, many people just adapt a few of these things to their routine, especially the foods, and it makes a world of difference. So to soothe pitta, it's best to eat cooling foods and favor sweet, bitter, and astringent tastes. So what you avoid, what you want to reduce anyway, spicy, sour, and salty, and oily, and leftovers because they all increase pitta. So red chili peppers, vinegar, sour foods, that's gonna heat the body. Leftovers, alcohol, genetically modified foods, or foods with lots of preservatives will also aggravate pitta. Remember that pitta is related to the digestive system. So if you're putting things in your system that aggravate the digestive system, then we shouldn't be surprised that we have digestive problems like hyperacidity or things like that. All we do is change a few of these things. doesn't mean you can never have the spicy foods. It just means don't have it all the time, every day. <clears throat> it's also important. Now, this is a point that came up when I spoke with um, the expert last time we, we talked on Ayurveda. He made, a few, he made a few points that were really important. If you want to make some changes to have better health, here's one. It's important to make dinner the lightest meal of the day, not the heaviest, and lunch should be the main meal. Now, why is that? Well, it's because the temperature is hottest outside at midday, which means your digestive system, which is also related to heat, can work best at that time. <clears throat> so if you have more food to digest, then it works out better. <clears throat> Eating the largest meal at night <clears throat> doesn't give the body the best condition for the most efficient and effective digestion. 
But this is true any time of the year, <clears throat> but especially in the pitta season. In the summer, we do want to take in more liquid foods, foods that have the effect of cooling the body. That could be bitter greens, astringent vegetables, sweet tastes like whole grains, milk, and sweet fruits. So what that means is you can have ice cream, <laughs> but not too much. In the summer, eat more squashes, cantaloupe, watermelon. So here are the four top heat busters <clears throat> for pitta. Watermelon, lettuce, cucumber, and coconut milk. So when you think about those, what do they have a lot of them in there? A lot of water. So pitta is fire and water, but water will reduce the fire. So drink plenty of pure water, pure water. Try to find that. <laughs> and there is a site you can go to to find pitta-related things like teas and spices. It's called um, Marshi Ayurveda Products International, but it's abbreviated M-A-P-I.com. Okay. What else can aggravate pitta? Working too long, too hard, of course, because they could be workaholics. That can lead to irritability and frustration. So counter the heat with soothing, relaxing activities like listening to favorite music, tuning into WPKN, reading at the beach, spending time with loved ones, doing what makes you happy. Getting good sleep is an excellent way to keep Pitta in balance, and it's suggested to start winding down before you go to bed and enjoy maybe light reading, listening to relaxing music, or here's a fun way to reduce Pitta. Take a warm bath, not a hot one, and put a few drops of aroma oil in and um, aim to get to bed early and wake up early. This will be very helpful for Pitta as well. And by following these simple Ayurvedic guidelines... It's easier to keep the pitta in balance. That includes your digestion. That includes your moods, regardless of the season, but especially when the weather is hot. <laughs> when the, in the summertime, when the weather is hot, we want to be happy. Okay, so that was short story number two. We have one more left, short story number three. And we will start that off with a nice song to get us in the mood again. Okay, we are back. This is Kathy's Corner, WPKN 89.5 FM. And again, you may be wondering why is she playing these songs? Because they relate to the topic. <laughs> We're doing just little vignettes. We're discussing it in terms of creating more balance in life. So that's always the theme here on my show. But today we just heard um, a couple little short stories or vignettes. And uh, this is our last one for the show. So um, that's Sly and the Family Stone, Dance to the Music. So let's just take their advice <laughs> and dance to the music. A traditional and fun summer fixture are music festivals. It's always fun to see what's coming around, what's coming up locally or, or not. Music soothes our soul. It makes us feel good. It stirs memories. And the reason we go to the summer festivals and listen to the great music on WPKN is because we enjoy it. We like to do that. Music and art, for that matter, 
are the expressions of something truly marvelous. Music and art are the skillful operation of transformation, the unfolding mechanics of life's more charming elements. Music is literally the fundamental quality of our own self. The universe is musical. According to quantum physics, the superstring theory in particular, which, by the way, I'm not a physicist, so <laughs> not an expert on it, but I have read about it. Everything that consists of elementary particles and the elementary particles themselves are the vibrational states of the non-material field of intelligence. That means the subtlest levels of life are non-material vibrations, specific frequencies of the deepest level of life, or we can say the sounds of silence. What we consider the material universe is actually the manifestation expressions of this silence. Because silence isn't dull, it's vibrant. And when silence moves, there's vibration, there's melody. Different frequencies of consciousness become manifest. Music is the science of resonance, harmonic flow, and the elementary particles correspond to the musical notes we know in the material world. And these aren't random sounds. That's a harmony of sound sequentially unfolding in an orderly manner because nature is intelligent. Nature is orderly. The universe is a symphony of sound. It's not a cacophony, but it all depends on how we see it. And that's your consciousness. Is it clear? Is it cloudy? Is it clear? You can sense those sounds. There's a flow. Melody is flow. The flow of frequency is music. There's a deep understanding of this flow and order in the Vedic tradition of knowledge, which I always refer to. Um, that's where the TM technique originates, yoga, Ayurveda. There's a science of music called Gandharva Veda music. And... Um, I have done a show on this type of music with an expert musician of Gandharva Veda. She's a sitarist. And um, you can find that if you want on the podcast, SoundCloud, WPKN Community Radio, Kathy's Corner, <laughs> again. Uh, but this, but Gandharva Veda explains the flow of the sound and the orderly sequence of its emergence into the material world from its source. And what was its source? We started out with that. That's what consciousness is. So a song, a piece of music, begins with a note and expands in all its glory. And we are feeling that expansion. That's what we're enjoying. We're enjoying the music. When we listen to it, we're feeling that expansion of that sound. The purpose of life is to grow and evolve and expand. That's what evolution is. Life is moving and moving forward is our goal, moving towards that balanced state. That's what gives us happiness. When we listen to music... We're choosing the music that makes us feel good. The song unfolds from that first note, like the seed of a tree. The seed contains everything in it, everything it needs. The whole tree is in the seed. And when planted, it just grows bigger and bigger. This is evolution. Evolution is progressing, growing into more and more and enlivening that deep peace and happiness. Now, I understood this principle, and then I saw that there are some shows on TV now that are contest shows where they have people listen to music and identify the song. But the idea is to do it as fast as you can. If you hear one note and you know the song or two notes and you know the song, then you're the winner. <laughs> but isn't that incredible that 
I mean, this is something we take for granted. We hear a note. Oh, I know what that song is. So in that first note is the song. That note identifies the song and is not lost in the song. And in the same way, life unfolds from its source. So it's how connected we are to that source that produces more and more harmony in our lives. And it's only a matter if we're aware of it. That's all. We have to contact it. You can't just talk about it. In life, this source, as I said at the beginning of the show, is called pure consciousness or being or self. And that's with the capital S. <laughs> and um, being is becoming all the facets of life. And it doesn't get lost. Just like that note doesn't get lost in the song. So music is the skillful operation that takes a point, a note, and expands on it. It is most profound if that point is perceived at a finer level. It's most blissful. And we often listen to music with our eyes closed. Um, sometimes I do. Or we dance to the music because it makes us want to move. We feel good. We're moving with the flow of the music. This is, this is what brings us some happiness as well, um, as Sly and his family have suggested. <laughs> I often hear when I listen to songwriters describe how they came up with um, the lyrics or the rhythm of the song, that it came from a quiet moment deep within. One of my favorite songs has been described like that by the songwriter, that in 20 minutes the whole song was done. It was just clear, it was known, and I think a lot of songs uh, come that way. And the softer the thinking, the more blissful and profound the sounds and the words that come out. So today what I wanted to do is establish more efficient and powerful thinking. So we talked about that at the first vignette. Take care of yourself during this hot weather. So some profound advice from the Ayurveda and the Pitta season. And today it's a beautiful day here in Connecticut, beautiful summer day. We're enjoying the remaining warms and some hot days of summer. So stay cool with the Ayurvedic suggestions. Spend some relaxed days at the beach. Be sure to protect your skin and eyes. Eat a healthy lunch of fresh whole foods. And please remember to dance to the music. So have a wonderful summer season. And I will be back in September. And I promise my last two shows for 2021, we will talk very deeply about consciousness. So enjoy and have a wonderful day.